0: Riverhead Books and Read It Forward present Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, a podcast with Marlon James and Jake Morrissey.
1: I'm very excited to talk about Dead
0: People because I love speaking ill of the dead. It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. You know
1: what? I'm not going to defend that book.
0: Enough about you. Let's talk about what I think.
1: They're Jane Austen characters I love that everybody's like, why?
0: Not a fan
1: of The Hobbits. I'm about to walk
0: out of this room If you're going to be that obvious, why don't you just hit me with a two-by-four and be done. That
1: is some serious shit.
0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the podcast, Marlon and Jake Read Dead People, with your hosts, the man booker, prize-winning, and international best-selling author, Marlon James, and me, his editor, Jake Morrissey. On this podcast, we'll be talking about authors, dead authors, authors we like, authors we hate, great books by dead authors terrible books by dead authors. Books we love that you'd never expect us to read. Books one of us loves that the other can't stand. Books we want you to pay attention to and books we want to steer you away from with every fiber of our being. Because we're a writer and an editor, we know books and we have opinions about books and about the people who wrote them. A lot of opinions. Sometimes we'll agree and sometimes we'll disagree and we're going to be honest brutally, unsparingly honest, which is why these authors have to be dead. So, welcome to the first conversation about dead people with Marlon and Jake. Let's get started by introducing yourself.
1: That would be me, I'm Marlon James. I'm an author who's very much alive, and I've written a few books, including some that, you know, the said editor, Mr. Morrissey, has even edited. That's right. And um and yeah, I'm very excited to talk about dead people because I love speaking ill of the dead. <laughs> you know, this whole idea that you know the dead should get some respect. I'm like, come on.
0: See the truth has always been part of your fiction, whether you whether I'm, you I'm just saying, know it or not. You know, Dead or Not Dead, Peyton Place is a terrible novel. Oh you know I'm so- afraid we're gonna have to disagree already. <laughs> Um, but I'm Jake Morrissey. I'm an editor at Riverhead Books, and as Marlon said, we've worked on a couple of novels together, including A Brief History of Seven Killings and Black Leopard, Red Wolf. But enough about us, so let's dive into right now what we're calling Author Grudge Match. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been
1: going on for a few
0: years. Yes, exactly, because this was one of the early seeds of this podcast, which grew from a conversation that you and I started a long time ago about Charles Dickens. I think it was a fate. you say tomato, I say Uh tomato. And Anthony Trollope, who were uh, two giants of 19th century fiction. One more giant than the other. One more giant than the other, who lived and worked at roughly the same time in roughly the same place, which was England. And that much is pretty much all we agree on. Um, What we don't necessarily agree on is what books of each author should be read by people or even whether you should read these old dead guys at all. So which is your favorite bitch? Charles Dickens or Anthony Trollope?
1: You know, have to you know, as a Jamaican, I should have really big issues with Charles Dickens. He's a very, very problematic guy. Because? Well, among other things, there was um there was a, a very, 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 one of the first, um, Jamaican civil rights movements was the Morant Bay rebellion. And it was, it was, um, dealt with very harshly, even by British standards. And they can be pretty brutal. Um, but yeah, they, they ended up, I think, um, hanging, executing, executing around 400 people. And this is post, this is not slavery. This is post slavery.
0: This is like mid 19th century. Um, late 19th century.
1: Yeah. It's like 1865. And, um, the, it was international, almost worldwide outrage at the, at the, how it was. It was like a Jamaican Tiananmen Square. Okay. And, um, but Dickens was one of the people who supported it. Wow. You know, he was like, no, you know, the, 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 the natives need to be taught a lesson. They need to be,
0: what, in line for Queen and Country?
1: Something like that. Wow. Um, okay. and, you know, it's, it's so on that level, fuck you, Dickens. <laughs>
0: But, having said that,
1: since this is a grudge match against Dickens and the, let me see my criticisms for Trollope for later on in this podcast, but definitely Dickens with all of that, Um, you know, I am definitely in Camp Dickens.
0: Well, while I'm I'm a great admirer of Charles Dickens, and you know there are certain novels of his that I think are terrific, I find Anthony Trollope's consistency, I find his ability to look in... Small ways at big ideas and character for a certain kind of Englishman or English person, um, readable and compelling. I think and I realize the issues you might have with Anthony Trollope are from a reader's point of view and from a literary point of view, I get. But I think that pound for pound, I think Anthony Trollope is more consistent than Dickens. I think he's more sometimes more readable than Dickens, and I think sometimes he's more approachable than Dickens. Hmm. So I'm Team Tony. He sounds like a really boring husband. Well, I didn't marry him, so I can't speak I to know. that. I can't I speak mean, to
1: that. Consistency is like. Why should I marry you? I'm consistent.
0: Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I hope to God that I never say to my <laughs> never said to my wife, uh, "Marry me, honey." I'm consistent. I'm consistent. Um, he he wrote six political novels in uh, over. Are 12. those ones you sent me? <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm sure you opened <laughs> up every single one of them and read every word. Jake
1: seven yes. is huge box. And I think it was it, the Barchester? The,
0: no, it was the Palliser novels.
1: The Palliser novels. Yes. I just thought they were black.
0: Yes. Well they were the ones that, that they uh um I think Oxford University Press published them, but I could be wrong about that. Anyway, they're small paperbacks that were about Plantagenet Palliser, uh and his wife his Glenn. His name Cor- is Plantagenet. His name is Plantagenet Palliser and he's the um Heir to the dukedom of Omnium, and he is a liberal politician in mid nineteenth century England.
1: Real slice of life. This Real thriller. slice
0: of life. And he he marries a woman who doesn't love him um, because uh, his name was, is Plantagenet. His, he, his name he, he was told to a woman. What named, she call him Plenty? She called him Planty, Yes. <laughs> and and I, I wish I was making this up. Um, and she was almost as wealthy as he was. So together they they venture forth on the political and social world of mid nineteenth century England as a as liberal politicians as as um, uh, um, Trollope was a, he was a, a, a liberal himself as opposed to the conservatives and it tells a story of how England evolved over those 20 years through the mm-hmm. characters of the, uh, and he has a kind of ne'er-do-well Irish uh, MP who comes to England named Phineas Finn, who gets himself accused of murder, murdering a member of the, the, um, the government. Um, there's various children who grow up um, who have their own adventures. Plantagenet himself, whose greatest ambition, Planty, whose greatest ambition was to be Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, is uh when his, when he becomes Duke of Omnium, that's the one that's the one position in England in English government that a peer is not allowed to hold. So this is a guy who worked all of his life to become a Chancellor of the Exchequer who can't be Chancellor anymore because he's now a Duke.
1: I'm sorry, you know what? He deserved that. <laughs> because
0: really, because of an accident, that's your job. An your my of dirt. job
1: is I want to be basically the queen's money bag.
0: Well, you know, he was about well for him about the being a liberal politician. For him, it was about I government is to curb the baser desires of people so that we can all live more equitably.
1: Mm. I gotta that, say that um, that Trollope also had a low opinion of Jamaica because yeah, I don't. I think he visited the place.
0: Did he really? Because I, I know like, he went to Australia.
1: Yeah, I was like, well, you know, you visited British people in Jamaica. Of course, you're going to have an unpleasant time. <laughs> um, and he said the infamous, "If you know, if we could, we should. He said, we could, we should or we – I would fain forget Jamaica altogether. Wow. I was like, I hope you met the basically the white people you were seeing there. Because- so basically,
0: not a po- he didn't buy the postcard. He did, was mm-hmm. not a fan. So, well, I mean, I, I can't speak for his um, –
1: I'm not necessarily. You know, point I'm view. just trying to think of the Jamaica he would have seen. He wouldn't have been around any of of the black folk, and the colonials were a pretty wretched sort. You know, they were they. You know, they were sort of. I mean, they were they were kind of ill bred. They probably spoke badly and smelled badly. What
0: well, were they like? Were they if if you were a col- if you were an English person or a British person in Jamaica in that period? Were you pushed aside? had you been pushed aside like Australia, like people were sent to Australia? As no.
1: Well? You're you're maybe been out of well, I don't I mean slavery would have been abolished a while ago. Um, so you may and, and and a lot of the you know, and a lot of the um, the planters families by nineteenth century didn't even live in Jamaica. Right. So chances are you weren't necessarily the most upper crust. Right. Um, person. So he would have met people who would have been unschooled. Um, kind of ignorant, not very bright, and um, you know, a little stunned because these are the people who go in saying that the black people are ignorant. Right. And you be like, no, you guys are pretty unwashed. You're pretty awful. Yeah. In fact, you smell bad. <laughs> Um so he had a rotten time in Jamaica. Oh.
0: Well I I mean my I, as I said the 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 what appeals to me about Trollope is that he wrote great political novels that frankly I have not seen in for example American fiction. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not a fan of Alan Drury Advice and Consent or those kind of 60s novels which seem really uh shrill to me. But this this was there these are very for me there's Drury,
1: very Drury's Drury Dr-
0: say that three times fast um the thing about I say that <laughs> <laughs> the thing about the thing about trial for me with the, with the political novels now i don't i know you don't he also wrote a lot about like you know ecclesiastical life
1: he but, wrote the warden which is one of the yes. most boring books <laughs> that book made me go eat it Wharton. you know what i'm gonna reconsider you okay i can't stand you
0: all right i'm i had the same reaction to uh, a tale of two cities It was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. (laughs) I don't, yeah, I don't, you know. You know what? I'm not going to
1: defend that book. Well, you
0: shouldn't. I mean, I I will agree that Bleak House is one of the triumphs of English literature. I will agree with that. I do not want to see, hear, read, care about Charles Dickens writing about the French Revolution. I'm the only person on the planet who's read Great Expectations who didn't feel remotely interested in what happens to those people.
1: I'm about to walk out of this room right now. (laughs) I know. That's like uh, one of my foundational novels. I
0: know. It's one of your foundational texts. You, I'm you, like... I get it.
1: Get out of here with your warden. Exactly. Well, Which I, I read twice because I had to do it for A-levels, and I still can't give you a synopsis of that book.
0: Well, I mean, the whole thing about that, you know, life within a cathedral close, it's... Not for everybody. It's not for the weak of heart. I grant you that. And so I, I would it's not.
1: Not for the interested reader.
0: Well, I would not point you to that. I would point <laughs> you to the six novels that I sent you as a Christmas gift to ask you to read. But I, anyway. Um. So I'm Team Trollope, although I recognize Charles Dickens is a genius.
1: I, I think he's a genius. But I will say, I mean, my problem with with Dickens is that Dickens sometimes never came across a sentimental scene that he wouldn't write.
0: Or or never wrote a scene that did not have five extraneous paragraphs.
1: They're arguing in Mr. Editor.
0: Well, sometimes... Sometimes,
1: sometimes you got to weed through the, the chaff to get to the wheat. Okay, that's not what I meant to say, but I don't know how to say it better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, like, I, of course, Bleak House is staggering. Great Expectation yes. is great. Little Dorrit is fantastic. I will
0: agree. Little Dorrit is amazing.
1: Um... David Copperfield, I cannot read. I keep trying. Oh, interesting. You like, don't like that? Oh, okay. like early Dickens when he's just a little too sentimental and pleased.
0: Did you read the old Curiosity Shop? Mm-mm. Okay, that's the one. Theoretically, the story goes where people were standing on the wharf at New York Harbor when, because it, it was, of course, published in. Yeah, yeah, Syria, yeah. Yelling, "What happened to Little Nell?" What you It's like, really, is that actually did that actually happen? Because that seems bogus to me. But I don't know. Dickens was kind
1: of a rock star.
0: Well, I, the Pickbook Papers, I remember, it was for, it was the first Dickens I read. I thought, this is 900 pages of wasted, yeah. That, pulp. That,
1: I could have warned you about it. You should have read Nicholas Nickleby if you're going to read the yes, big book.
0: Exactly. Or I actually even liked Our Mutual Friend. That's a good book. I did not like Dombey and Son.
1: I didn't read that one. But but I keep trying with David Copperfield. Well, I just can't
0: get into you it. You know what? Just admit it. It's it's you know he he can't write everything. Everything can't be perfect. I will agree. Bleak House is one of the five greatest novels written in English, which really? is a conversation for another podcast. I was going to go, what are the other I was four? just going to say, stay tuned for more information. All right, let's jump for to the other side of the Atlantic for another literary grudge match that I want to talk about here. This time, um, the gladiators – that's probably not the right word. Anyway, are women whose books have been read by countless children, and the stories have shown up on – Television and been turned into movies and have become part of the cultural landscape. Who we want to talk about are Laura Ingalls Wilder of the Little House books and Louisa May Alcott, who wrote Little Women, Little Men, and Joe's Boys. So, explain to me why you like Laura Ingalls I said, Wilder.
1: Laura Ingalls Wilder is is, is, is that's a tough choice because man, that girl sure was is. racist and um, and, and I, dull. Yeah, and I totally supported that decision to change the name of that prize. I think it was a yep. prize. Laura Ingalls well, I said, "Yeah, you should." It's like why why should we why should we hold on to something that was wrong to begin with? If, if, if yes. somebody's phone, it's like people. Are like, I think there was this argument about it being too politically correct or so on. I'm like, well, no, ex- explain what
0: just, explain what that what if
1: happened. I, I, well, I can't remember the name of the actual prize, but it was a Laura Ingalls well, at a Fiction Prize
0: given and, to a writer.
1: Yeah. Yes. And a um, few recently, mm-hmm. it's a few years ago. They changed the name because it came out just how racist, particularly to Native Americans. Yes. Um, Lauren goes wild. It was, and then the usual, the usual crowd were screaming censorship. And I'm like, dude, you're in America. You have no idea what censorship right. is. Right. It's like there's a big difference between me blocking your freedom of speech and me blocking your access to making money. Mm-hmm. Um, that that all said. Laura Ingalls Wilder played such a titanic role in my young imagination.
0: So are you saying that as a young kid growing up in Jamaica, you happily read Yeah, for, for, books about the Little House stories?
1: Well, for one, Little House may have been, if I remember, Little House was the first book that was not a picture book that I read. And I remember thinking, this is one silly. This was one, not silly. I thought this was one devious plot. Like, why wouldn't a book have pictures? That makes no sense. (laughs) I remember my mom asking me, how are you liking the book? I'm like, well, there are no pictures, but it's okay. Uh, But uh, it's the first, it's certainly the first book where after I read it, I tried to write a book.
0: So it was inspiration. Yeah.
1: Wow. Which I'm pretty sure my mom still has. And I'm pretty sure it's terrible. Oh, I
0: would pay big. Big money to see this. I want to see Marlon James's no, I, first literary. I'm pretty sure effort. I don't.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 it, for 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 all the her flaws and for all that book's flaws, I still have to give it a special place of being the book that first made me want to write books.
0: Well, th- that's fair because you know there are certainly books that I have read that have affected me at a per- because it, I read them at a particular time in my life, mm-hmm. and knowing that they're not very good or not very interesting or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I could never get away from with Laura Ingalls Wilder is these people are dull. Mm -hmm. They're living in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere. And the plot is, will we survive the winter? Well, will we? Well, eight books later, the answer is yes. (laughs) So I guess my point is, I wish... There are certain books where you think, oh, you know what? The world in which you inhabit in mm-hmm. these books, in, in a book, is interesting, and I want to spend more time there. Could not wait to get out of that damn cabin. You know
1: what? Yeah, but I think part of the Laura Ingalls thing, and I think it's 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 it's. Uh, when did you read it? You remember? Well,
0: I could, I, I read it later than you did,
1: because I read it at a time. Little House on the Prairie was a big hit TV right. show. So a huge part of it also is me recognizing the characters in the book. Yes. So I think a lot of the a lot of the um, I'm trying to find a positive uh, what's the positive word for baggage because baggage has such negative connotations. <laughs> a lot of the happy baggage that I put to that book was because of the TV show. So I don't know if it's it's I don't know if it's because of that. It's like it's like watching Spiderman and reading a Spiderman right. comic. Right. Right. I, I don't know if a lot of what I'm feeling is is stuff I'm bringing to it because to me it's not it's it's no longer um, you know boring people right. it's it's um, whatever whoever played the dad Michael it, Landon it's
0: Michael Landon see I grew up in a Michael Landon free zone and was very happy for that I remember you're so
1: you know I, so uh, deprived. well
0: I mean my parents never had any interest in Bonanza I did not want to I did not want to watch. Little House on the Prairie. Not that, not that anybody who did was somehow, you know, morally corrupt or whatever. I know I th- you're
1: sounding kind of condescending.
0: I am sounding condescending, and that's kind of, <laughs> that's c- because my choice. Speaking of condescending, was my what, I
1: Claudius? No, uh, no, no. I'm just talking about what you're watching on TV. No, uh,
0: well, that's true. Yeah, As w- for me, I was at the
1: theater. I was
0: probably watching. Yeah, I was probably watching um, uh, upstairs, downstairs. Yeah, that oh, is pretty God. condescending. Anyway, my pick <laughs> instead of Laura Ingalls Wilder is Louise May Alcott. And the thing about that I find Louise Mallord is, it's not that her prose is, is frankly, any good. It's that she managed to figure out a way to write interestingly about young women at a time when it was really, really hard to find anything about women or or focused on women.
1: Certainly, nothing about girls.
0: Exactly. That wasn't a. That was not a cliche. And and the thing about these four sisters who were coming together during the Civil War, whose father was of whose father was off being a doctor for the Union Army, and this whole um, household of women were fighting against um, destruction. And and you know where are we, how are we going to put food on the table? How are we going to make sure that we are um, you know mm-hmm. going to be okay as the winter goes? So Little Women. Um, I read and like the sequel, Little Men, which was um, later in the in the ex- the life of Joe and her husband, who started a a, a school for boys. I th- actually that was the first one I read that I really liked, and then the sequel to that, Joe's Boys. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- for me, Louisa May Alcott was more about the reason I like her is more is the the story she tells. Unlike Laura Ingalls Wilder, seemed to me to show an evolution of. Um, the culture, as much as it showed the evolution of the characters, mm. I could not get out of those big woods fast enough, yeah. as far as I was concerned.
1: Yeah, but evolution is kind of beyond Larry Ingalls Wilder's gifts.
0: <laughs> she had many fine gifts. Yeah. Evolution, yeah. evolution was, not was one, one of, of them. them. Yeah.
1: You know, born a racist, died a racist. Well, you know, it's it's I. You know, Little Woman to me, I don't know. I I I I read it and I, I and I, and I remember liking it. I don't know if it's one of those books from that time that I always reach for. The book I used to really like was Lorna Dooney.
0: Oh, the Scottish yeah. uh, Walter Walter Scott. Yeah. Now my wife read that and really liked it. Yeah. I read sixty pages and said, "That's enough. <laughs> I'm done." Now why do, why do you like that That's one so much? So
1: I don't know. Maybe it's because it was. It's I get I remember my first. So I went through these these phases where I just read books constantly, like hundreds of books. And I remember indiscriminately.
0: That, yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, yeah, I've always read indiscriminately. I think it's one of my favorite things about reading. Um, so <laughs> I don't. why I don't have a snobbish attitude to books. Um, but I remember reading that one because it was kind of intense, and I was getting it. And when you're like twelve, and you're reading a book that was definitely not meant for your age group but you're digging it as like it's difficult and I'm digging it. Good. Uh, and, and that was one of those books for me. The other thing I want to think about little woman is I think of, um, how, um, Geraldine Brooks managed to get a great novel out of that with March.
0: Oh, that's true. Yes, that's true. I remember watching as a, my, the kind of, you know, the one I remember most is the, is Susan Sarandon played Marmee and, um,
1: I might've seen that one.
0: And, uh, Winona Ryder played Joe. And, um, it's actually really well done. And I'm not mm. a huge Winona Ryder fan, and I'm less of a Susan Sarandon fan. So the fact that I liked <laughs> both of them um, in it was kind of a kind of a, a kind of a cultural miracle. Coming up next is a part of the podcast we call Dead People, Dead Places and Dead Things. These are aspects or details of the books or authors we were talking about that struck us as interesting or unusual or that we might have specialized knowledge about. So let's start with you again, Marlon. Mm. What do you want to talk about with either of the ladies and gentlemen we discussed?
1: Um, I think, you know, for, for all my issues with Dickens, I am still pretty much convinced that Dickens invented childhood in the sense that until Dickens, one, I don't think children played such a huge role in literature. And two, I don't think society played... Much attention to children. I think that's true. I think the whole idea that a child could have an interior life, and that a child that to abuse a child is wrong, to put a child in labor camps, the whole idea of of um exploiting particularly poor children until they're dead, mm-hmm. is something nobody thought about until Dickens. It's like nobody thought about the food we ate until Upton Sinclair. Right. Right. And I think that 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 the type of world he uncovered, the type of Britain he uncovered, is something that it's they have never seen before.
0: Well, 175 years ago, or whatever it was that he was writing, um, there was ch- childhood did not exist the way we thought about it. Yeah, or think about it. I mean, the idea of you know being a six-year-old kid and going out to play, or mm-hmm. sitting at home and reading a book, or playing a video game, or whatever. Though it was like you were you were in the family to actually keep it together, help mm-hmm. it to survive, and if you fell into the fire at two or three years old and burned to death, that's kind of on you. It's
1: kind of on you. You should be seen and not heard. Exactly,
0: and working your ass off mm-hmm. in order to make sure that the rest of the family. Which is why one of the reasons you know families they were they had so many children. It's mm-hmm. like these were actual these were actual assets for survival.
1: Yeah, and it's. If you're if you are a family say before 1910 mm-hmm. and you had four kids it meant seven died.
0: Yes. And I I can yeah. speak to my own family. I mean I have rele- you know my grandparents and great grandparents. They had like four children who died over mm-hmm. the course of over the course of the 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 reproductive life of my great grandmother and it was you know you sort of read these kind of litanies of 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 you know this baby was born and they were always named the same and they mm-hmm. just kept dying and you think how did you go through this yeah. how did you survive i think
1: this? they took it as a, they took it as a given but i think yeah dickens dickens's Dickinson's london had never been seen before and i think it, he was very good at highlighting the parts that are, that british people londoners even the rest of the world would rather not look at.
0: Well, even something like Oliver Twist, mm-hmm. um, which I really liked, because it was talking about you know um, Fagin's band of children, yeah, and you know who worked as as thieves. Negligible
1: dosage of anti-Semitism,
0: absolutely. As as the you know nice Jewish man that that Fagin was, mm-hmm. but um, the idea well. that somehow children were, um, uh, as you said, had interior lives or mm-hmm. ideas or or pasts that could actually have an impact on their futures.
1: Yeah. And I think he he did a huge service to the world with that. I don't think that's why I said I think Dickens invented childhood.
0: That's very interesting, actually. Well, what I want to talk about is um I think one of the things about Louisa May Alcott's uh Little Women, and one of the reasons she became one of the sort of great names in American literature was because she wanted to help out her father. Mm-hmm. Um In the 1860s, um, there was an editor at a publishing house named Thomas Niles who asked if if Alcott would write a book for and about girls. And -hmm. she didn't really want to do that. She sort of considered herself a tomboy. Um, Her sexual preference Mm. is not part of this conversation, but she was a tomboy. She never married. She never had children. As far as I know, she never had a a significant relationship with anyone, either male or female. But um, she wanted to sort of get excited about the project, but she, um, she she sort of couldn't really muster that much enthusiasm for it. On the other hand, her, later her father, um, a guy named Amos Bronson Alcott, who was a transcendentalist and a minister, and um, he was trying to convince Niles to publish his uh, manuscript on philosophy, which even back then was a hard sell to mm-hmm. an editor. <laughs> um, so anyway... Um, uh, there goes my next book. <laughs> Please, please, please go. So, um, essentially, um, uh, Louisa May Alcott's father told Niles that he would get his daughter to write a book about girls if, mm-hmm. he, if they would, pu- if he would publish his novel, uh, or his book on philosophy. I mean, and. Um, uh, Louisa May Alcott agreed, so she wrote *Little Women* based on her sisters and their experiences. So, the book was an enormous success, and her father's book on her father's book got published. So, it was kind of a quid pro. Well, I guess his
1: book was an enormous. His success. book was.
0: His book was did not star Winona Ryder yeah. and Susan. Saranda He's not the William James
1: to her Henry.
0: No, he, not by no means. But it's the sort of things like you know what, Dad, I'll do this for, I'll do this for you, and that's kind of. um I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's it's a. Sac- and kind of an intellectual and creative sacrifice that I don't know if a lot of people would have made. Mm. And so, props to her for for doing that, um, particularly given the fact that her. You know, her father had been um, within the kind of transcendentalist mix, and she had family friends. It was you know, Emerson and Thoreau and Hawthorne were all, and Melville, I think, were all part of the sort of family unit or family group that that uh, she grew up in. So she was kind of in this world of ideas, and she wrote what was what was what became an enormously popular and an enormously kind of personal book that or book that people found personal because it was about young women.
1: I remember reading. Um it was an article, it was an excerpt from a book, because one of the, one of the um, bones and contention that we, we've had about 19th century literature is where where the 19th century American female novelists. Yes. Um, you know, have war and have so on. And one of the, one of the things that um, this article or this book was, was arguing, and, and I thought it was a good argument, was that American women just didn't have the time. That, um, that a lot of British, like, a lot of, like, I know it because it's a tradition in Jamaica where, for example, I grew up with a, with a household, a housekeeper. And every time I mention it to Americans, they go, Oh, you were rich. I was like, No, even a poor, a, a sort of lower income family would still have a house servant or a housemaid or whatever. And it's not necessarily that, um, you're worthless or you have money. It's just kind of a deal you work out, where it's like, I'll help my cousin in the country to come to the city and live. She takes care of the children.
0: And because there's a lot of stuff that needs to be taken care of. It's not like you can... You know, you can't pop dinner into the microwave and send the fo- the, the laundry out to be washed, mm. and and then dash to the gro- and then wait for the delivery from uh, from the grocery store on what it is you're and you know doing. you
1: know if your house servant. But it's 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 one of those British traditions that never really came over to the states,
0: but it came over to
1: places like Jamaica or India or so on. And um, but the the argument the argument the writer is making is that there were more there were more British women novelists because they just had the time.
0: Oh wow! So it's so it's both both mm-hmm. a class issue in terms of people who can. Have,
1: but also class education education yeah and and so on is, I thought it was a really interesting thing because we the, the the question is always where are the American no- female novelists in the nineteenth century?
0: Well, as you said, somebody like Edith Wharton who comes from the upper class, and that's. Is that? Is there somebody else?
1: I don't know. I go back and forth on that woman because she's a snob first, novelist second.
0: Well, that's true, but you can also say, you know, somebody else is, you know, and I, I can't, I can't think of a good example right now. But it's a little bit like it's a little bit like saying, okay, Gore Vidal is a public intellectual first, and a novelist second. Does that d- does that does that demote his novels?
1: No, but snob, I don't know, I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, obviously, snob is much more pe- yeah. pejorative than something like public intellect. I mean, I mean,
1: so is so, you know, so was Forster. I think Forster was a snob first novelist second,
0: so you don't you're not a fan of Forster.
1: I'm not a fan of Maurice. That's a piece of shit. No, yeah, that's
0: not good. That is not
1: then I again mean, even he kind of knew it.
0: Well, that's the one that he didn't publish in his life. That's one he
1: didn't publish. It's the one where the movie's definitely better. Than Movie? The book.
0: Oh, that's that's incorrect. Well, that's another. That's a subject for another podcast. Movies that are better than the books. They
1: come on. It's Hugh Grant kissing a dude
0: <laughs> where, in the meadow. Where's the downside? His with hair
1: that? is sensational. Okay,
0: this is another conversation. But <laughs> Hugh Hugh Grant. I can't I'm, believe we're
1: not going to talk about the gorgeousness of Hugh Grant.
0: Well, Hugh Grant is, I'm sure, a very fine actor. Hugh Grant acts a lot with his hair.
1: Oh, That is some shit.
0: <laughs> well, I that don't, is that is. I don't wish him ill. I'm not saying. I want
1: to say, as a white person, <laughs> I am pretty impressed with your shade right now. <laughs> for a white person, that is some serious shade. Yeah,
0: you're welcome. Wow, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah.
1: I want to shared it with my black friend.
0: <laughs> well, I can. I mean, literally, there was a period of time when I went to a fair number of movies that had. Hugh Grant in them, everything from Sense and Sensibility to Love Actually, and to About a Boy, which Mm -hmm. I actually think is a great movie.
1: I love that movie. Yeah.
0: And the novel's actually even better. Anyway, my point is, it was like, oh, wait, I spent more time thinking about Hugh Grant's hairstyle than I did about how he got through the movie. And I, this I'm not is, sure
1: what your problem is Hair, <laughs> hair is important
0: hair is, hair is crucial This is this is a lesson we want you all to learn Alright, let's move on to the what we call The warmest, fuzziest part of the show Which is a segment we call mm-hmm. I don't give Two shakes of a rat's ass What you think This is where each of us makes a case For a book or author That we know the other one Probably won't agree with But we want to stand by it anyway so, what do you want to share today, Mike? No, Mara? I think you
1: should go first. Do you want me to go yeah. first?
0: All right. I've been thinking a lot about the creepiness and the and the sort of domestic horror that is Stuart Little.
1: <laughs> Stuart <laughs> Little
0: starts out perfectly reasonably as this uh, young couple or this couple in New York. Who have a son named George, and they give birth to a three inch tall white mouse that they name Stuart. And that seems perfectly reasonable within the context of this novel.
1: That was a very easy labor. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying.
0: Okay, the interspecies problems, notwithstanding to the logic of this particular, sounding speciesist. Yeah, I totally am in this case. And the and then the fact that we go through this whole story and then um, George, the older brother, um, just tosses Stuart down the, the 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 tub drain, and Mom and Dad have difficulty finding him. He's in the drain. So you kind of think there's a lot of psychosis going on in this perfectly I'm reasonable saying, family.
1: if my bro- little brother is a rat,
0: you're going to throw, throw him down the I'm going to
1: throw him down the drain and it's okay. like, "I kind of vermin for a brother."
0: <laughs> well, and I a I agree with you, but the other part of this is nobody seems to sort of say, "Hey, there's See, a mouse running around this this ha- this yeah. neighborhood See, this I was, family.
1: I told you I was telling you before it reminds me of the late great Cow and Chicken.
0: Yes, the yes. Cow and Chicken cartoon. Cow and Chicken cartoon. Yes, it
1: was. As I say it was. Where's what, m- what? Mama had a chicken. Mama had a cow. that was so happy you didn't ask how. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and they say good poetry isn't written See, anymore. Listen to Evelyn. Yeah. Well, what do you have today?
1: My oh, I I don't care what anybody thinks. But I will go to my grave saying John Stanbeck is a better author than Ernest Hemingway.
0: Well, okay. I could not agree with you more. But why God, do you damn think? it. We're I know. Exactly. You were trying to be provocative and I agree. I that... trying to be but I even kept it from you. <laughs> I know. You totally did. Why, why do you think? You're still so not being a good
1: American editor right now.
0: Well, okay. First of all, um, <laughs> uh, Hemingway wrote three stories that he turned into a career and a Nobel <laughs> prize in literature. Um, but it, the thing at least about Steinbeck is he was willing to write about somebody besides himself.
1: He was so good at writing about people besides not himself. And, and and he's a creature of his time. So some of those books haven't aged well. I'm kind of scared to go back to the Pearl.
0: Okay. Yeah. You're better not. Yeah. You're better, I'm probably,
1: probably going to stay away from that for a little bit. Um, but I have, you know, Grapes of Wrath, of course, East of Eden,
0: which is better than people think including uh, better than what he thought okay because I was I love the grapes of wrath. yeah I east of Eden I have not read recently
1: I should go back go I back should. to it um cannery Row, um tortilla fat it's it's I just think for one Stan Mc, sta plays a bigger role in my childhood than Hemingway because um, a lot of those books I read as a kid, I read Canary Row, I read um, um, East of Eden, I read a lot of these books growing up. And I remember thinking this was like the type of serious novel that I could yes. al- al- understand. And I also think he- he's just a warmer writer. Well, he
0: cares about people.
1: Yeah. And I don't think Hemingway cared about people.
0: He cared about himself.
1: Yeah. Um, what is Barely. his name? Uh, um, Pasternak has this interview, I think it was a Paris interview interview, and he's talking about, he was talking about, it's the usual, the usual of the feud is Hemingway versus Faulkner. Right.
0: Which for me, Faulkner wins hands down. Hemingway versus Fitzgerald.
1: That one I might give to Hemingway.
0: Oh, I totally give to Fitzgerald.
1: Yeah, I might yeah. give it, I don't know. I have to go back and read the crack up.
0: Actually, well, the crack up is good. I was surprised, I read, I reread the last tycoon recently. Mm-hmm. I, it's flawed. Certainly. I was surprised how much I liked it.
1: I might go back to that, because I, 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 yeah, to me, in a lot of ways, Great Gatsby notwithstanding, um, you know, in a lot of ways, Fitzgerald is a 19th century author.
0: Oh, absolutely. He's a, he's a basically a romantic.
1: Which is funny, because to me, Great Gatsby was the first saying that the 20th centuries happened.
0: Yes, because it, in a little bit, in in a way, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you know what? Um, hope is dead. Mm-hmm. Nothing the, nothing the post-World War One. Absolutely. But, anyway, back but, to But what
1: Pasternak said Pasnak said, you know, he understands why people think Hemingway is great, but he says, as for me, I'm not gonna get a drink and sit down to read people read about people getting a drink to sit down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, Yeah, that's pretty much it. Boris is Boris has better things to do with his time. Yes. It's like
1: is what if one more person drinks a sort of star anise or whatever it is they always drink, it's always a cocktail. Right.
0: Well, I mean, I, I read, um, in early in college and couldn't, it was like fingernails against a chalkboard, the Nick Adams stories, which is about basically Ernest Hemingway growing up and thinking deep thoughts within the northern Michigan woods. And there was a, there was a scene in one of them where, um, Nick Adams you know, basically trails his hand in the river and he's in a canoe and he thought he would never, I think the line is he thought he would never die. And I thought, you know, if you're going to be that obvious, why don't you just hit me with a two-by-four and be done with it? <laughs> now, I may be misremembering this, but I, I just – the profound memory I have of all this is like, you know, I just read 260 pages of, a, of the same story over and over again, and I'm ready to move on. I will say Ernest Hemingway, in my opinion, wrote one perfect short story, and that is the, not, the short story, Hills Like White Elephants.
1: That is a perfect short story. And I it, teach it every year. Do you really? Okay. Yeah. How,
0: how do the students respond?
1: They, I mean, actually, it depends. It depends on um, oh. some students have found it boring. Some students are like, boring. or it's they think
0: pages it's, long,
1: or they think it's boring. Then they then they kind of unlock it and they go,
0: whoa. Yeah.
1: I was like, yeah, uh, uh, the things that Hemingway is good at, he is the master.
0: Yes, he's much better. I mean, he was obviously the the king of less, mm-hmm. but when he actually uses less, almost like a scalpel, as opposed to like a you know a headline. Um, it can be quite poignant, actually.
1: And also, when Hemingway uses less than at that one detail yes. or two, like in *Hills Like White Elephants*, when when the girl always looks away instead of answering a exactly. question. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, they, they I was I used to, I was saying you know Hemingway gets all this all this credit for being the king of objective point of view, but he breaks it twice in *Hills Like White Elephants*. I'll give it a weekend to figure it out. Then whoever <laughs> figures it out gets extra credit. <laughs> They usually don't, but...
0: <laughs> well, the thing, the thing that, I, that the, I remember reading it completely, you know, kind of stumbling across it in the collection of short stories, and I actually got choked up. Yeah. I mean, by myself, this is 30 years ago, thinking, oh, yeah, I get this. I Didn't get he
1: this. write, what's it, what's it, there's a Nick Adams story. Is it The Light of the World or one of them? I can't remember. It's when Nick goes to the bar and a bartender wouldn't serve him.
0: Oh, yes, I do. I don't remember the name of it, though. Yes, I do remember the story.
1: I actually don't remember. it. I just not know. I teach parts of it. Um.
0: <laughs> well, now, do you teach Steinbeck? Steinbeck at all?
1: I um, I teach Travels with Charlie. Okay. Um, what else have I taught? I haven't taught him in a while because he has some read because um, you know I'm teaching I'm teaching 19 year olds. They need short novels, so Grips of Wrath is not gonna happen. No,
0: true. Have you ever taught them? And this is completely off topic. Have you ever taught them um, Invisible Cities, the Italo Calvino book? Mm-mm. Okay. Pro tip. Teach them, oh. teach them uh. That's good, way listen. off topic, Jake. It is. It's totally off t- And time for another <laughs> podcast. Okay. Um, I think I think that's all for today. So thank you for listening all the way to the end. We would be interested in hearing from you, so feel free to send us your feedback, your love notes to Marlin, your ideas at we read dead people at PRH.com. Recognizing, of course, that whatever we hear from you, we will judge you on. So if well, you'll judge, because he's saying he judges judge. everything.
1: I judge everything. After this, we do a podcast on living authors, which will never air until we're both dead. <laughs> exactly. Because uh, most of them are friends of mine. I own. was just gonna
0: say you know far too many. You <laughs> know far too many living authors. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And another shameless plug, don't forget to rate this podcast as it will help more people discover Marlon's melodious voice and my inability to end a sentence.
1: I'm so glad he didn't call it lyrical. I think
0: I think Melodious is better. Yeah, I prefer Melodious. Yes. So you can follow, Read It Forward, and Riverhead Books on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for updates on all things books. All of them written by living authors, of course. So we'll we'll have well, be-
1: is pretty dead. Really? Yeah, as far as I know. Unless it's like Tupac.
0: (laughs) True. Um, And we'll have links in the show notes to all the books that we've talked about today. So until next time, go read some dead people and some live people.